If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. Luke chapter 7 verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The title of my message today is Amazing Faith. Amazing faith. You know, throughout the Gospels, we read time and time again that people were amazed by Jesus. They were amazed by things he said, by how he taught. They said on occasion, nobody's ever taught like this man. And they were also amazed by what he did. How he healed the sick. How he calmed the wind and the waves. They were amazed by Jesus. But in this passage, Jesus is the one who is amazed. Imagine that. He is amazed by the great faith a Roman centurion displayed. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek him. This passage demonstrates for us the kind of faith that amazes Jesus. The kind of faith that pleases God. How many would like to have that kind of faith? All of us should aspire to have that kind of faith because if we do, we will really live out the truth that nothing is impossible with God. Do we believe that? The word of God declares it. We give lip service to it, but do we really believe it? I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have the amazing faith, faith that amazes Jesus. And so for the next few minutes, I want to answer the question, what are the characteristics of those with amazing faith? What are the characteristics of those with amazing faith? And the irony here, as we'll see, is that this Roman centurion, this Gentile, displayed that kind of amazing faith. The characteristics of those with amazing faith. The first thing is they have an exalted view of Jesus. 
They have an exalted view of Jesus. We just sang about the name, didn't we? We just sang about the power and the life and the healing that is in the name of Jesus. People with an amazing faith have an exalted view of Jesus. This centurion did. He had an exalted view of Jesus and his authority over this hopeless disease. In verse 7, he said to Jesus, Just say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion understood the principle of authority. He said to Jesus, uh, supplying some background, I understand authority. I'm a man under authority. A Roman centurion uh, was a, a uh, Roman soldier who was over a hundred men, as the, the word would suggest. He said, I'm a man under authority, and I have men under me. And when I tell a man under me to go, he goes. When I tell someone under me to do something, he does it. And so he was saying to Jesus, I understand authority. And I believe you have authority. But this centurion, this Gentile, knew that his servant's desperate condition was beyond the realm of his own authority. He needed to go to the one in authority over all creation. And he recognizes Jesus to be that one. He even knew that Jesus didn't need to physically come to his house. While he was on the way, he sent uh, representatives to Jesus and said, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. You can just speak a word. And, and he, he understood. Of course, the Bible tells us that the universe was spoken into existence. John chapter 1 tells us it was the Logos or uh, the, the pre-incarnate Son, uh, Jesus himself, who spoke the universe into existence. Therefore, it wasn't a difficult thing for Jesus to respond to the message uh, from these representatives of this centurion and just speak the word. And that is an exalted view of Jesus Christ. That recognizes him for who he is. You know, I think sometimes our view of Jesus is too small. It's too small. We reduce him somehow to uh, another version of us. Yes, he did take on flesh. Yes, he did walk on the earth. But let me tell you, he is not us. Dr. Robert Wilson was a professor of Hebrew at Princeton Seminary in the early part of last century. He knew almost 40 languages, but he was not only a scholar, he was a man of faith. And once he went to the seminary chapel, he came back to listen to his former student uh, by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse, who himself became a great theologian. Barnhouse had returned to the seminary to preach Afterward, Robert Wilson said to Barnhouse, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once. He said, I'm glad that you are a big godder. You heard me right. I'm glad that you're a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what their ministry will be. Barnhouse asked him to explain. He had never heard those phrases. Wilson replied, well, some men have a little God and they are always in trouble with him. 
He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scripture to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks and it is done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. You have a great God and he will bless your ministry. Church, the question I have for you today is how big is your God? How big is Jesus, God's son, to you? Is he small? Is he limited? Is he maybe a supercharged version of us? Or is he the almighty God? Is he the sovereign God over the universe? Is he the one who speaks things into existence? Is he the one who speaks and diseases are healed? Is he the one who speaks and depression is lifted? Is he the one who speaks and bondages are broken? Do you serve a big God or a little God? Is your Jesus big or is he little? Those who have an amazing faith, they have an exalted view of Jesus. They not only give lip service to the fact that he's great and that he's overall, but they believe it with all their hearts. You say, well, what does that mean in a practical sense? That means that when we face an impossibility, when we face something uh, that is too big for us, we can turn to the one uh, for whom nothing is too big and say, Jesus, I need you to take care of this. Jesus, it's too big for me, but I know that nothing is too big for you. What impossibility is staring you in the face right now? What situation is too big for you? Have you brought it to Jesus? Like this Roman centurion who sent people to Jesus and, and, and said, come and heal this son. But you don't have to come all the way. Just speak the word. You need to go to Jesus. You know, I grew up, I grew up on some great old hymns in the church like some of you have. And I remember that one, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to him in prayer. What's staring you in the face today? What's too big for you? What has caused you frustration? What has caused you anxiety? What has caused you to shed tears? What has caused you to wring your hands and, and to, to lose hope? Take it to Jesus. Jesus, as we sang this morning, is above it all. Do we believe that in reality? Or do we, do we believe it in theory? Or do we believe it in, in reality? Do we believe it in, in real life? Some of you are facing things today, right now. You came into this service and you wanted to enter into the praise, you wanted to enter into the fellowship, but you have things weighing down on you. Right now, I say, give it to Jesus who is over it. Give it to Jesus who is over all. That's the kind of faith Jesus is looking for. That's the kind of faith that amazes Jesus today. Lord, I give it to you because you're the exalted one. Those with amazing faith have an exalted view of Jesus. What's the second characteristic of those with amazing faith? They have a humble view of themselves. 
in verse 4, the Jewish delegation uh, that the centurion sent, they tell Jesus that this man is worthy of receiving something from Jesus. He was a friend of the Jews, very unusual. He built, he, out of his own funds, he paid to have a Jewish synagogue uh, built and they, they, they were, they, of course, these Jewish representatives, they came to Jesus, they said, he's, he's a good guy. He's, Jesus, he's, he's I, I know he's a Gentile, I know he's a Roman uh, centurion in the Roman army, but he's one of the good ones, Jesus. He's worthy for you to answer this prayer. That was their assessment of him. But when Jesus agreed to go with them and he sent other representatives to meet him while he was a ways off, the message that he sent was a different one than what the original representative said. He basically said the opposite. I'm not worthy. I'm no one special. I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not all that and a bag of chips. You see, he could have boasted about what he'd done. He could have boasted of his generosity and of his good relationship with the Jewish people. Isn't that how we do things? Right? We put in a good word. We put our best foot forward. This is... This is, this is why you should grant my request, right? Isn't that the way of the world? Isn't that, isn't that how things work? Any, any expert, man, if you're looking for a job or, or looking for something, people, everybody will tell you, man, you, you got to put yourself out there. You got, you got to, you got to put your, you got to shine up that resume, right? And we all do that. You got to, man, you, you, you have to make an impression. You only get one chance to make a first impression, Right? You gotta, man. You gotta put yourself out there, and and you know, uh, you know, tell your bona fides, tell all the things that are that 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 are so great about you. He didn't do that. Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I don't deserve anything. I'm just asking. He was humble. He had a humble view of himself. He could have even boasted in his humility. Speaking of that, on one occasion, the well-known preacher, Harry Ironside, felt that he was not humble enough. You ever feel that way? You're not humble enough? Well, he did. So he asked an older friend what he could do about it. The friend replied, make a sandwich board with the plan of salvation and scripture on it and wear it as you walk through downtown Chicago for a day. Y'all would do that, right? So Ironside followed his friend's advice, and it was a humiliating experience. As he returned home and took off the sandwich board, he caught himself thinking, there's not another person in Chicago who would be willing to do a thing like that. <laughs> he was proud of his humility. But one spiritual hero known for his great humility was a man named George Mueller, who trusted God in the 1800s to support over 10,000 orphans in Bristol, England. 10,000. His biographer said this about him, nothing is more marked in George Mueller to the very day of his death than this, that he so looked to God and leaned on God that he felt himself to be nothing and God everything. Humility. Humility. I'll tell you what, God responds to humble hearts. 
God responds to people who see themselves in the proper perspective. I'm not talking about false humility. You know, I'm no good. Nobody likes me. I'm not worth anything. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about humility that sees ourselves in proper perspective. That we don't earn anything from God. That we don't deserve anything from God. That we don't have a right to demand anything from God. You ever hear preachers and theologians uh, talk in terms as if God owes us something? And we can, as if we can command God. You've heard it. You've heard it. And God owes it to you and God will do this. Listen, God doesn't owe us anything. Anything and everything we receive from God is due to his grace. It's due to his great love. And we need to approach him humbly. The words of that, 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 that great uh, classic hymn of the church, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Humility. How do we grow in humility? True humility stems from seeing my insufficiency in Christ's all-sufficiency. The centurion's servant was about to die. He was helpless to deal with his irreversible illness and imminent death. The centurion saw his own insufficiency to deal with the problem, but he also saw that Jesus was sufficient. Isn't it comforting today to know that when we're at the end of our sufficiency, that his grace is sufficient, that his power is, is enough, that his hand is able to reach down into our situation and do something that we can't do. Listen, the moment we get full of ourselves and proud of ourselves is the moment that, that we fail to display the kind of faith God is looking for. We're all dependent on him every day, every second, every moment of our lives. It's just only periodically that we realize it. You know? We go along, we're thinking it all depends on us. No, it doesn't. It all depends on him. So to have amazing faith, uh, we, we need to have uh, humble spirits that please God. What's the third characteristic of those with amazing faith? They have a compassionate view of others. They have a compassionate view of others. The centurion's compassion is seen in his attitude toward his slave. Slaves in that day were commonly regarded as property to be used and discarded at the will of the owner. But this slave, verse 2 tells us, was highly valued by the centurion. The Greek word translated highly valued into English uh, literally means precious. It is used to refer to Christ as the cornerstone, precious in God's sight in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 6. The centurion was a man of rank and power. He gave orders, as we said, and they were easily obeyed. He could have easily said, if this slave dies, no problem, we'll just get another one. And as... as Cold and inhumane as that sounds, that was the attitude of many people toward their slaves. Slave died. Plenty more where that came from. But this centurion's position and power had not gone to his head. He had concern for this one whom society normally would have despised. And so he pleaded with Christ on behalf of his slave. I heard a story about a man named Christopher 
Cersei, uh, not no relation, who was playing basketball with his friends on May 16, 1998, when a random gunshot uh, hit him in his and perforated his aorta. His friends helped him to get within 40 feet. They struggled to get him within 40 feet of the entrance to the Ravenswood Hospital and then went inside and asked for help. The hospital personnel explained that they were sorry, uh, but regulations and, and policies prohibited them uh, from treating anyone outside the hospital. Eventually, a policeman was able to get a wheelchair and wheeled Christopher into the hospital where he was then helped by the hospital staff, but it was too late, and he died about an hour later. Many times it seems that churches are surrounded by people that desperately need to receive Christian compassion. Yet, like those hospital personnel, uh, often were only willing uh, to extend that compassion with those who managed to make it inside. God help us. God help us. Heard another story about a newly appointed pastor standing at a study window in the church and weeping as he looked over the inner city's tragic conditions. And a layman uh, came up to him there in the office and tried to console him. He said to this new pastor, he said, don't worry, after you've been here a while, you'll get used to it. The pastor responded, yes, I know. That's why I'm crying. This morning, I want to share a quote with you from Congressman J.C. Watts. He said this, compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag, but that price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. Church, the kind of faith that only believes God for the things we want and the things that will make our lives better is not the kind of faith that amazes Jesus, that pleases God. The faith that amazes and pleases Jesus is the kind of faith that will believe God to do a miracle for someone in need. Those with amazing faith have a compassionate view of other people. It's so easy to be judgmental and to be like those Jesus referred to who, who say, thank God I'm not like that person. Thank God I'm not like that down and outer. Boy, that person really messed up their lives. You know what? You, you, you can walk from this church building, you don't have to go very far, and you will come across someone with a messed up life. Now, we're all messed up to a degree or another. That's the first thing we need to realize. But the second thing is you can walk not a, a short, not, not, not a very long distance from here. You find somebody, and if you're perceptive at all, you can say, that person has a messed up life. They, have, they must have really made some poor decisions. And you know what? Chances are you'd probably be right. They may, have, they may have made a series of poor decisions that got them into a place uh, mostly of their own doing, but guess what? They deserve the compassion of God's people no less than anyone else. They don't deserve to be condemned 
For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 16 to 17. Hallelujah. So easy to be condemnatory. So easy to look down our noses at people. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all recipients of the compassion and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. I want to have the kind of faith that has compassion for people. And, and we're, we're, we're reaching out. We're doing our best to reach out. We've, we've, you know we've, this has been a challenging period for us the last two and a half years or so. But God, we still have a mandate from God. That's why we're having this fall experience. Not just to have another, uh, you know, event. But to make a connection with people. Can I tell you something? We haven't announced this, but I'm going to say, we're going to do something a little different at Christmas time. We're going, we're going to have, uh, on a small scale to begin, but we're going to have a, a, a ministry where we give food, we give groceries to people in need. We reach out instead of focusing upon ourselves. Don't get me wrong. I love the way we do the holidays. I love the way we do Christmas. It's a time of joy, a time of celebration, but it should be more than just having having fun and feeling good about ourselves and and can i can i tell you something else god spoke to me and told me this we're not going to build our church we're not going to grow and get it back to the attendance and the size and beyond that that it was through transfer growth or for people who aren't here anymore coming back. I pray that folks do come back. We love, we love for folks to come back, but that's not how we're going to build our church. We're going to build our church the biblical way. We're going to reach lost people. We're going to reach hurting people. We're going to reach people whose lives are messed up. People who need compassion. That's how we're going to build our church. We're going to bring them in. God's going to save them. We're going to disciple them. And that's how we're going to grow our church. Now, that's always been God's plan. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not saying that to you like I've discovered some new truth after thousands of years. It's always been God's plan. But God specifically spoke to me and said, that's how we're going to build our church. It's not going to be through transfer growth. Not going to be through, through, through Christians shifting around from one church to another. God, God bless them. Anyone God sends us, we welcome them. But we're going to reach lost people. And that takes a compassion. So if we want to have faith to grow our church, we need to have uh, faith that is full of compassion for hurting people. That's the kind of faith that amazes Jesus. This passage concludes with Jesus expressing his amazement that the kind of faith demonstrated by this Roman centurion, this Gentile, could not be found in all of Israel. Now, 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 now keep in mind, uh, you know, at that time, if, if, if you were, you know, the, the, the way to salvation was, was, was through Israel, through the Jewish people. And, and if, you, if you were a Gentile, you, you, you would become a proselyte to the Jewish faith in order to, to be part of the household of God. It's, you know, New, New Covenant, New Testament, now uh, 
grace has been extended to everyone. But, but so when Jesus says, this, I haven't found this faith in Israel, he's saying, it's the equivalent of saying, hey, this, this someone out on the street displayed the kind of faith. I don't even see that in the church. That's the equivalent of what Jesus is saying. And that's why he was so amazed. And not only was Jesus amazed by this great faith, but of course, he responded to it. Amen? The kind of faith that amazes Jesus is the kind of faith he responds to. How many know that Jesus still answers prayer? How many know that Jesus still will do the impossible, the miraculous in our lives? What are the characteristics of those with an amazing faith, a faith that pleases God? First of all, they have an exalted view of Jesus. They see him as the sovereign God that he is. Secondly, they have a humble view of themselves. They, they, they realize, hey, hey I, it's, it's due to nothing I deserve. Lord, anything I receive from you is a result of your grace and your mercy. They have a humble view of themselves. They realize there are things that are beyond their control. How many of us realize today there are things that are too big for us? There are things that are, are too difficult for us. There are mountains that we can't move. God responds to that type of humility. And thirdly, uh, those with an amazing faith have a compassionate view of other people. Their faith isn't just so they can say, bless me, bless me. Yes, God tells us to bring our burdens to him. Yes, God tells us to bring our needs to him and, and, and to, to believe him to supply our needs. But if our faith is limited to just what I can get for myself and uh, what, what I would like to see happen, then that's not a faith that completely pleases God. Those with an amazing faith have a compassionate view of those around them. I want that kind of faith today, don't you? Faith that amazes Jesus. Faith that pleases Almighty God. 